Wow. The overwhelming, reckless love of God. I have a word for you today. And that word is that God loves you. God loves you. I mean, you just have to let that sink in. That God loves you. That when we were without help, when we could do nothing about our situation, God at the right time sent His Son to die for me. To die for you. Because He loves you that much. That He gave His Son so that we might be reconciled to Him. Folks, that should move us. That kind of love should move us. I mean... We, we can't be coerced into something. We can't be persuaded into something. But that kind of love should move us. We are tremendously loved by our Creator. And yet we live in a society that does not know what love is. They've never experienced the love that we have experienced through Jesus Christ. And so what happens is when we have a legitimate need that we want to fill in an illegitimate way, we do whatever we can to fill that need. And so what we do is we circumvent, we go around God's plan to get what we think we want, which is an illegitimate need. It's, a, it's something that we, we take a legitimate need and we fill it in an illegitimate way. And then we wonder why our lives are messed up. We wonder why our nation is messed up. We're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to talk this morning about lust. You know, maybe one of the most difficult disciplines for, I want to say, contemporary Christians involves the ability of overcoming lust. I mean, primetime TV, magazines, movies, novels, Netflix, the way some people dress seem to stimulate lustful thoughts. Now, this message this morning is rated PG. And it includes a discussion on sexual issues. And parents may want to take your younger kids to kids' church, if there's any left in here. You know, John MacArthur, he says this, he issues a strong warning to all who would desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. And this is, he says this explaining that ours is a day of unbridled indulgence in sexual passion. People propagate, they promote, they exploit it through the most powerful and pervasive media known to humanity. He goes on and he says it seems to be the almost uninterrupted theme of our society's entertainment even in academic and religious circles, we see seminars and books and tapes and programs of all sorts that promise to improve sexual knowledge, experience, freedom, and enjoyment. All of these things are wrapped up in this. 
Mass media uses sex to sell products and to glamorize its programs. But hear this. Sex crimes are at an all-time high in our nation. While fidelity, excuse me, infidelity and divorce and perversion, those are all justified by our society. Marriage, sexual fidelity, moral purity, they're scorned, they're ridiculed, and they're laughed at. And we're preoccupied with sex to a degree that we've never seen before in a civilized society. But I want you to know something. The Bible is up to date on sexual matters. See, long ago, God warned against adultery and fornication. I want to read out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 uh, through 30. And Jesus said this, he said, You have heard that that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Loving Father, I ask that even now as we read your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our heart and be our teacher, be our guide and lead us to all truth. Father, I pray for our nation, I pray for our society. I pray, Father, that you would push back the darkness. I ask, Father, that you would show us the truth about where we are. As individuals, as men, as women, as the body of Christ. Father, I pray that you would call us to repentance. That your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us. And Father, that we would desire the the sexual purity that you call for. Father, not only in our actions and our deeds, but also in our thought life. Father, I pray for a great repentance upon your body, the church. I pray, Father, that you would draw us close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as Jesus was preaching this Sermon on the Mount, I, I, I know that, that, that he knew that his followers in every age would have problems with illegitimate thoughts and actions concerning people and sex. He gave the disciples some help in dealing with and even overcoming lust. And folks, this takes on all forms, and I'm going to share more about that in a little bit, but what I want you to understand is is Jesus, as he's teaching this, he's giving them something that they can work with. He's giving them some tools in the toolbox. But the reason that we don't use it is because it's not acceptable in our society. We think we know better because we're so smart. 
and yet we are plagued with lust. We can't seem to get away from it. You know, Jesus says here in verse 27, he says, you have heard, you have heard, and he he suggests there that the multitudes that he's preaching to, they were listening for the most part. They hadn't studied the law themselves, but they were listening to the scribes and the Pharisees, and they had heard what they had said about it. And so the scribes and Pharisees were teaching on the law, and and he says, you have heard, not meaning that they had checked it out for themselves, but this is what they had heard. And you know, he goes on to say, you have heard that it was said. I want to point out just a, a, a small differentiation here, a small thing, but a big thing. The words, it is said, it was said, is different from it was written. You have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. (laughs) You shall not commit adultery. See, Jesus expands the scope of adultery. No one doubts that the the disobedience exists in the dimension of adultery. I mean, we would say that person is being disobedient to God's will. (laughs) The law simply stated you shall not commit adultery. Now, back up just a little bit. You remember the sixth commandment in those ten commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It protects the sanctity of life. You shall not commit murder. The seventh commandment, Exodus 20, 14 talks about the sanctity of marriage. You shall not commit adultery. Both of those things are very dear to God's heart. The sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. And and as a nation, we have made a mockery of all of that. We have not stood for the things that God calls us to stand for. Now, according to Jewish law, adultery referred to sexual intercourse with the wife or the betrothed of a Jew. And it was condemned because in essence, if if you committed adultery, you were taking another man's wife. In other words, you were, and this is the way they considered it, you were unlawfully using that man's property. Unlawfully using that man's property. That's the way they viewed it. I'm not, I'm not uh, don't, don't say I'm a, you know, a misogynist and a bigot and all those other things. I'm not. I'm telling you how they viewed it in Jesus' day. And they viewed the letter of the law, you shall not commit adultery, the act, if you will. Okay, and, and, and so it was viewed as an external act. Now, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word relates to sexual intercourse with anyone other than their spouse. So if you are having sex outside of marriage, then that is considered adultery in the big picture. It's, it's, it's all inclusive in that. Any kind of sex, any kind of intercourse with anyone other than one's spouse. And Jesus implies here the principle of sexual purity should be taken in a wider sense than, than adultery. Notice he says in there, 
he uses the word everyone. For everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her. Everyone who looks at a woman are comprehensive terms that apply even to the unmarried. A woman and everyone could be the unmarried. So understand it is not lustful looking that causes the sin in the heart. But the sin in the heart is what causes the lustful looking. See, the lustful looking is an expression of the heart that is already immoral and already adulterous. (laughs) Because the heart, the heart is the soil where the seeds are embedded and they begin to grow. So when the, the, the look finally comes out, when the lustful look shows up, it's because there has been a crop growing on the inside. I mean, if you flip over a few pages to Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus said this. He said, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So what's on the inside comes out. So what's on the inside comes out. See, adultery was such a serious offense in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I mean, Moses recorded in in, uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, he said this. He said, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The man and the woman are to die according to the law of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22 through 24, it says, If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, thus she shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then they shall, you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death. The girl because she did not cry out in the city and the man because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Basically, he's saying, get rid of this evil that is among you. Don't do this. I submit to you today that this law applies to us today. I don't care what our society says. I don't care what kind of junk we are promoting all over the world through Hollywood. Call me old-fashioned. I believe God's word. And when he says it's evil and purge this evil from you, I believe that's what he meant by that. That, I could say, it is written. It is the word of God. Now, understand, Jesus accepted that the law prohibited adultery, but he carried it to a deeper dimension. And according to Jesus, anyone who looked on a person lustfully committed adultery. And Jesus is making the point that just because a man has never committed the physical act of adultery, that he's still guilty 
if he fulfilled the criteria in that verse. If he's looking at a woman with lust upon his heart. See, a Jewish man might be quite proud that he had never broken this commandment. Oh, I've never committed adultery. I've kept that commandment. But you know, what's on the inside is what comes out. You know, still, the, the person that maybe hasn't committed that physical act, still like the false teachers that Peter described in 2 Peter 2.14. He said, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. See, listen, everybody... <laughs> Let me back that up. Every day... Many people around us violate this law, the dimension of the law. We live in an adulterous society. So every day, many people violate the the, the physical part of that law. But I want to submit to you this morning that all people everywhere violate the dimension of the lustful look. We can try not to, but sometimes it happens. And sometimes we stare. But understand this. External respectability is no guarantee against our internal impropriety. What I mean by that is our good reputation, the way we look towards other people, What others think about us, that is no guarantee against our bad character. What God truly knows about us. I mean, Scripture tells us there is none good, no, not one. The heart is deceitful above all things. So you see, when we think about all of this, that that, that our good reputation is no guarantee against our bad character. Just because other people think you're an upstanding citizen doesn't mean that you don't have lustful thoughts. All of this goes together. See, Jesus encounters and he counters popular opinion and he raises the bar on sexual sin. He raises it to the point where he says, it's not just about the sexual sin. It's about your thought life. It's about what's going on in here. You see, there is no secret thought life before an all-knowing God. There's no room for self-righteousness to say, well, I didn't look at anything bad this week. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't look at something I shouldn't have looked at. I didn't go where I shouldn't have been. There's no room for self-righteousness in what Jesus is saying when it comes to the matter of inward lust. Because that runs right down the heart of every single man, woman, and child. You know, in school, I I went through some Greek, three years of Greek. I hope it's paying off. But uh, in this passage, I wanted to share something with you here. It's kind of a difficult thing, but it says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her. And this Greek word for looks 
It means to look at or behold. I know that's not rocket science. You know, you're probably like, yeah, big deal, Ridge. That's what three years of Greek gives you? Yeah, I think we need a little more than that. But uh, the word is blepo, and blepo in the Greek conveys the sense of directing one's attention to something so as to take notice of it or consider it. So blepo here in this passage, when he says, who looks at a woman with lust for her, blepo here is in the present tense, which means continually looking. It's not something that we're talking about a quick glance and then we're moving on. It's the quick glance and then the second look and the third look that eventually becomes a stare. Guys, don't go there. Cut your losses quickly. Jesus is not describing a casual glance. He's talking about a genuine, lust-filled stare. See, this look characterizes the man or the, or the woman, the person whose glance is not checked by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's someone who looks and keeps looking. So let's look at the disciplines against lust here. I mean, overcoming the dimension of lust, uh, uh, the dimension of adultery according to the law, means to refuse sexual contact with anyone who's other than your spouse. So let me boil that down. It means you are committed to a rule and to a person. You're committed to a rule and to a person. I'm so thankful this, this month, my wife and I are celebrating 33 years of marriage. You know, in that, I'm glad that my wife is 100% faithful to me. If she was 85% faithful to me, that would bother me. But guys, she doesn't want me to be 85% faithful to her either. She wants me 100% faithful. You can't get any more than 100%. I know people say 110, 112. There's no such thing. 100% is all of it. 100%. Now, I am committed to a rule, but I'm also committed to a person, my spouse. And the, the discipline of obeying this external law is difficult. But it's not as difficult as battling the inward lust. Because you see, the, the central message here of the Sermon on the Mount is that the basis, this is important, the basis of all sin is inner thought, inner heart. What's inside comes out. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying. It starts in the heart. We ponder it, we think about it, and then we act on it. When it gives forth fruit, it bears death, it bears that sin bears forth fruit, it bears death. See, a person commits the sin when he wants to do it. Whether or not he ever carries the action out. We've done it in our heart. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that a lustful thought is identical to a lustful deed. And so, people might say, well, we might as well commit adultery then. If it's just one and the same, it's not one and the same. They, they, are, they are similar spiritually, but physically they are not the same thing. But listen, the act of adultery is worse than adultery in the heart. Because Jesus' points is not to say that they're the same thing, but that they are both sin. 
And they're both prohibited by the commandment not to commit adultery. They're not the same thing, but they're both prohibited. That's Jesus' point. You see, some people only keep from adultery because they're afraid they're going to get caught or how much it's going to cost them. And it's good that they, it keeps them from adultery, but it's bad that their heart is filled with adultery. It's not okay, guys, to look at porn. That's lustful adultery in your heart. And we got a problem with it. The United States of America has a problem with it. Men today have a problem with it. And once we repent of that, once we come clean with the Lord, then maybe he'll use us to accomplish his mission. You see, we keep trying to fool ourselves like nobody else knows about it. God knows about it. He sees it all. Understand that this principle applies to much more than men looking at women. When we're talking about lustful thoughts, the principle applies to anything we can covet with our mind or with our, our eyes. I mean, when you think about this, you can covet things. You can look lustfully at an RV. You can look lustfully at, at, at clothes or, or other things in the stores. You can, you can say, I've got to have that. You can look lustfully at a, at a newer house, a big house, or whatever it is that, that you are being tempted with. It may not be just the physical act of adultery, but we might covet something and look lustfully at it, and we've already committed it in our heart. That's his point. See this word lust. Look at a woman with lust for her. Lust literally means to fix the desire upon something. And that object could be good or bad. It means to have a strong desire to do or to secure something. To desire greatly, to long for, to set one's heart upon. You see, lust is like rot in the bones. Thomas Brooks wrote that he said, A little will satisfy nature. Less will satisfy grace, but nothing will satisfy men's lusts. You know, when I was a kid, growing up, we had a little song that we used to sing. It was something like this. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Okay, all of these matter. And we act like it's no big deal. It's no big deal. But understand, Jesus knew that radical measures were needed if his disciples, if his followers were going to be able to defeat lust. I mean, Jesus saying here that, uh, you know, about the offending eye being plucked out and the hand being chopped off and thrown away from you. I mean, obviously, he's, he's using it figuratively and uh, hyperbolical and, and he's exaggerating there. But, I mean, think about this. After all, if you pluck your eye out and you remove your hand, the sinful thought is still in the heart. 
So he's not saying that's what we should do because we would probably have a lot of people that are one-eyed and people that don't have a hand, you know. Seriously. But what he's saying is it's in the heart. Get rid of the heart issue. And, and, and really what it, what it means is, you know, and young people, I mean, I know that you're just starting out. I know that you're trying to figure all this out. And you're trying to figure out in a society that is lying to you. And we buy it hook, line, and sinker. And we look at our phones and we look at the pictures and we look at this and we look at that. And it's a lie. And what I'm telling you is God loves you more than you could possibly know. And he has a great plan for you. But we got to do our part. And, and remaining pure and, and, and abstaining from any kind of sexual practice is the only sure defense. Because you're, you're going to be asked to go further than you want to go. And if you do, God loves you. But that's not his plan for you. There will be a day, there will be a time, and that time will be in the not-too-distant future. But he's got wonderful plans for you, and you have to hold that as sacred until that time. I mean, God's plan protects the gift of sexual intimacy that's to be enjoyed in a lifelong relationship of commitment and trust. And you need to understand that God hates all sexual immorality because he has, as his goal, the highest good of men and women. To be one together. You see, God's commandments were given not to frustrate us, but to fulfill us. You ever, had, you ever put something together without reading the directions? Oh, wow, look, here's glue, let's squirt it on. Then you read the instructions and it says, warning, do not put the glue on part C until you've first connected part A and part B. By that time it's too late. You've already messed it up. It's ruined. It'll never work the way it's supposed to. But that's what's happening when we use sex outside of the context of marriage. It messes things up. It destroys. And that's why God says it's off limits. Because he loves us and he wants us to have the best. He didn't send us assembly instructions to keep us from having fun. He sent them to us so that we could get the maximum enjoyment out of the gift that he has given us. That is the truth. But see, we don't see that. We're short-sighted. We say, this is what I want because this is what society is telling me that I want. And society has it wrong. Follow the instructions that God has given you and you will enjoy the gift so much more when it's put together properly. See, there are dividends to defeating lust. And Jesus uh, continues with his figurative language here when he says, you know, pluck the eye and cut the hand off. But listen. To be in heaven means to be in the presence of God. To be in hell means to be separated from God. If you took all the good in this world 
If you took all of the the wonderful gifts that God has given us, if you take all that is holy and all that God calls sacred and you take that out of our world, we are a depraved humanity. There is none good, no, not one. And the good that you see in us and other people is because of God in their life. I'm going to pray in just a moment. This is a vital message. And the enemy doesn't want you to hear it. And he wants to distract you away from this. Understand, Jesus gives us help. He said it would be better to live a disciplined life than it is to be out of fellowship with our Heavenly Father. I mean, private sins have a fatal attraction by appearing to be internal, secret, hidden. But Jesus declared lust to be sinful. I mean, God's not bound by our privacy. Just because you do it in the privacy of your own home or apartment or wherever... Our thoughts and our emotions are visible to him as any of our actions. He sees it all. From his perspective, their actions. And that explains their sinfulness. See, lust creates an offense before God by the misuse of one of his powerful gifts. God gives us the gift of reflection. To be able to reflect And that part of us that is most able to consider and appreciate our creator, his word, and his world becomes increasingly toxic as we use it to consider sin. When we begin to reflect and dwell on those images and the things that we know we shouldn't do, and we continue to do that, it becomes more toxic. We need repentance. We need to come clean. See, many people believe that we don't have a choice. Therefore, we have no responsibility for what we think about. But this contradicts the clear teaching of Jesus here. We may not be able to control all of the passing thoughts that go through or the feelings that we have, but we definitely decide upon where our heart and mind rest. We have the choice to move on. We have the choice to consider it. We have the choice to to reflect on it, or we have the choice to not put our heart on that. And you see, Jesus teaches us to repent from the heart of all forms of sexual immorality. And he speaks to us today with the abundance of so many seductive sexual appeals. We can trust Jesus. We can trust him to help us overcome lust. If we got a problem with it, we need to trust him more. Victory in Jesus, that song. Then... I repented 
of my sin and won the victory. Jesus is there for us. We just have to trust him. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Father, I thank you for the word that you give. I pray, Father, for all that is going on this morning. Father, I pray for the the family out in the Great Hall. I ask, Father, that you would provide what is needed. I ask, Father, that you would uh, make a way where there seems to be no way. Holy Spirit, I ask that even in this moment you would refocus our hearts upon the things that we've heard. Father, the things that you've brought to our mind, our heart. And God, that today we would be broken. We would be broken with repentance for the things that we know in our heart that aren't right. Father, I ask that you would show us exactly what you desire. Father, I pray that your will would be done. I pray, Father, that you would guide us into all truth. Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that pours over us. I thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit dwells within us. I thank you, Father, that you are the one who sent your Son for us. I pray, Father, that today you would guide us Father, that that we would be done with the things of this world, but Father, that we would fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. And God, that we would give you the glory, the honor that you deserve. Father, you and you alone are worthy of our praise. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us. I pray that you would guide us as we continue to seek you in Jesus' name, amen.